Welcome to Looking at Lucasfilm, the podcast with a different perspective on the world of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and all of the other entities that George Lucas, Kathleen Kennedy, and the rest of the team at Lucasfilm have dreamed up over the past 40 years. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the one, the only Dan Z, and I are recording this on Wednesday, May 13th, which is when Dan revealed to me that he may be getting into raising chickens is, is is that what you were telling me <laughs> there are there there's discussion around the zare household that we um, may get a couple of chickens to for some eggs and mm-hmm. just some family fun so we'll see we'll see my uh, my only request is that we name one of them princess leia because i like the pun with that <laughs> uh, that's such a dad joke yes. okay uh now now mind you dan i've also been keeping tabs on on you on twitter lately and i want to say over the last day or so you effectively said you you wanted to start walling yourself off from news in regards to the mandalorian is that correct yeah basically we've had an influx over the past few weeks of casting announcements Mm -hmm. via variety and the hollywood reporter and Mm -hmm. you know all reputable sites that Mm -hmm. obviously uh, know what they're talking about but the challenge for me is I would really like to experience the Mandalorian season two mm-hmm. as a fan. And, and like when a character walks on the screen for the first time, I want to be, I want that jaw drop moment. I mean, let's face it. Mm-hmm. The child debuting at the the end of the first episode was what rattled popular culture. I mean, there was the, the, the reverberations of that were massive. Mm-hmm. And I think a big reason besides the fact that the child is adorable is because it was a surprise to see uh, what looked like a baby Yoda. Mm-hmm. And if we'd known that in advance, I don't know that the series catches on the way that it does. So now we've got, you know, the discussion of Fed and Ahsoka and Bo-Katan, which is really the kind of the last straw for me. Mm-hmm. And at the point, it really would have been great to watch these episodes and see these characters and have the reveal that way, as opposed to, you know, six months ahead via some casting report. I, I just, oh. I, I prefer the story. I prefer the narrative, not no, you know, no, when no, I'm no. reading a book, I don't want to just rip out a couple of pages and somebody tell me what happens. Uh, well, you know, Mike, Mike, you see, the, I, I think you and I come at this from a different point of view. I, I, I'm a process guy. Uh, in fact, my daughter to this day tells the story. We were at a, um, you know, remember when like Barnes and Nobles would do these book nights for the oh, yeah. uh, you know the release of Harry Potter and you know you had to be there at midnight and buy your copy. And I worked at Harry uh, at Barnes Noble for the re- release of the sixth and seventh books. Really? Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So good, 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 good. did we dress up as a particular character? Oh, uh, Harry, of course. Oh, okay. Yes. All right. You know that, that I'm a Dumbledore guy myself. Um, <laughs> but no, I I just it was one of these things where you know we're standing there in line and my daughter turns around and I've cracked the book to the back uh and and she's like dad and it's like no it's a no I'm just I I I enjoy I I I love what JK Rowling does I love how she does structure you know she's very much in the Chekhov school of you introduce something in act one and you definitely pay it off in act two so you know it's it wasn't for me, it wasn't spoiling the story to look to the end to see what happens. It was like, okay, now that I know where I'm going. How do I get there? And 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 I uh, to circle back to what you're saying. I, in fact, 
I I forgot when I was putting together the notes tonight about uh, the Katie Sockoff news uh, earlier today uh, about Bo-Katan. Is it what was the Bo-Katan. Yep. Bo-Katan. yep. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I but for me. You know, when I look at the news, like, for example, uh, and correct me if I'm getting the, the pronunciation of the name wrong here, Timur Morrison, is that correct? Timur Morrison, yep. Timur Morrison, okay. The voice been... of the father in Moana, also. Oh, God. I, I Thank you for doing the Disney tie. I did not know that. <laughs> um, but but again, you know, to, to the, 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 the news that we have is that he's supposedly being brought onto uh the mandalorian to play boba fett and let, let's face it you know from as far back as episode five of the mandalorian the first season when you know that mysterious set of spurs appeared you know you know near the lifeless body or the supposedly lifeless body of fennec shan mm-hmm. uh you know the fans have been talking about this um i i don't know i i i get what you're saying from a you know i i you know, Rosario Dawson potentially coming on board as a Sokatana, you know, that sort of thing. Um, that we basically, it, if we would have had Ahsoka, Boba mm-hmm. Fett, and Bo Katan revealed in the show as the show mm-hmm. was airing every Friday, yeah. Phantom would have exploded. I mean, it would have taken the child hype and and and, and duplicated or replicated that. And now we're not going to get that. And that's that's unfortunate. I mean, but also you got to keep in mind, not only is coffee with Kenobi completely spoiler and speculation free, mm-hmm. but when I have my, my expectations at a certain level because of things like this, mm-hmm. it's very hard to meet them. And so that's just kind of my own selfish point of view. And also keep in mind that when my wife goes Christmas shopping, I don't even want to know what store she goes to. <laughs> okay. So. okay. I, I get that. <laughs> but for me, it's it's just sort of like, it's ingredients. It's, you know, it's like, oh, you know, she's being added to the mix and that character is being added to the mix. Well, for that matter, just the news over the past two weeks about uh, Robert Rodriguez, uh, who Disney fans probably know best from the Spy Kids movie or, or Peyton Reed, uh, who, who did the first two Ant-Man movies and has been signed to do a third. I mean, I love the fact that they're joining an already really deep bench when it comes to directors for The Mandalorian. Yeah. Um, you know, have it just you, have it, you been watching that show too? I well, we're gonna get and, to oh, later, but God have I. I get you know, and, and I you know, I have to say at this point, um, you know, I, I could sit and watch Dave Filoni read the phone book, you know. Oh, um, you know, uh, a master class. Well, you know, in, in fact, it's so interesting you say that because uh, if you saw the most recent episode or the, the well again you you have access to additional material dan uh i'm talking about episode 2 um and and where he talked about the connections between for example phantom menace and you know uh, return of the jedi and mm-hmm. you know the whole notion of that maybe obi-wan really wasn't the father figure that anakin needed and i have to admit i had my eyes opened about these two films, which Dan, to be completely honest, I, I previously thought of as you know lesser installments of the Skywalker saga. Um, but sure. you know, well, I mean, I, that, Dave gave me a new appreciation for these two films, or, or you know, the, what the narrative was trying to do there. Right. Well, I mean, I don't need to tell you how many times I've poured over these over this mythology, and and now, like, I had never thought about. 
Mm -hmm. Anakin is basically being longing for a father figure. Well, I had to the degree that I feel like Palpatine tried to kind of take that role to a certain Mm -hmm. degree. But the fact that Obi-Wan was always the brother and not the father figure, Mm -hmm. I thought was mind blowing and how, and I had never looked at Qui-Gon's defeat as the loss of a father figure and a change in the direction of Anakin Skywalker. I always looked at the loss of Qui-Gon as as the loss of more potential learning about the force, Mm -hmm. Um, but never from that perspective. So, my jaw actually dropped, and I thought, this is brilliant. I mean, we know Dave, know Dave, but it's it's brilliant. No, absolutely. I get it. Just, uh, uh, and don't get me wrong. I, I enjoy the Disney Gallery, the Mandalorian show, just for the way it pops the hood. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and to, to listen to, you know, the folks involved with the show talk about their choices and, you know, the way they do things. Um, and the reverence they have for the story, particularly when Taika Waititi talks about it, was rather mm-hmm. moving for me because sometimes you just don't know if they're just saying, oh, I'll play in the Star Wars sandbox. But the fact that they all revere it, is, I think, is really quite endearing. Well, you know, it, it, what a wonderful one-two punch to have him talk that way and then to learn just in the past week or so that, that Taika's, you know, working on a, a, a Star Wars feature. It, yeah. And, you know, and, and to, to put the cherry on the Sunday, he's working with the screenwriter, Oh, 1917. I mean, it's just sort of like, um, I, I, great. You know, I, I, again, you know, uh, forgive me for, for burbling here, but in a weird sort of way, it honestly feels like we're kind of in a, a golden age for Star Wars, which given the way people were talking, even just six months ago when, you know, the rise of Skywalker came out and a number of folks were grumbling the fact that we have so much strong stuff yeah. uh you know well written well thought out stuff but on the other hand i you know it's speaking of you know that that, that makes me think of, of young kids you know the, the the little league team and all that but how great was it to hear dave talk about you know george reminding him and you know remember you know keep these things optimistic kids really need this today um and so, i'm just... so glad he said that i think that's so important and one of the things i was worried about with the mandalorian before i saw a single episode that we would lose that optimism and that hope so i mean when the mm-hmm. maker says that you know you gotta take that to heart oh no no absolutely absolutely um now um we were just talking about dave uh, dave's take on um, uh, you know, anakin and you know the whole notion of you know losing the father figure with qui-gon and uh, you know, Obi-Wan not quite being there for him uh, as the father figure. Uh, and I have to, forgive me for, for doing this pivot, but you've seen the rumor that's out there, right, about the Obi-Wan series, right? Um, I have not. Okay. Have um, supposedly, and again, again, we're going <laughs> to... Lean heavily into reporters, very good friends here, folks, reportedly, allegedly, and supposedly. Um, but there's a rumor making the rounds that, the you know, uh, as part of the rewrites for the Obi-Wan series, uh, four installments for Disney Plus sometime, you know, debuting sometime next year. Um, supposedly, Disney has reached out to Hayden Christensen with the notion of, you know, to feel him out about whether or not he'd be willing to come back to play Anakin. And, you know, and and with the notion of, you know, look, it would allow you, you know, once again to reunite with uh, 
Ewan McGregor, you know, his version of Obi-Wan. And um, I would have initially dismissed this uh, as wishful thinking on fans' part until the Tomorrow Morrison uh, casting news came through. And, you know, and, and, and especially in the heels of uh, Dave talking the way he did uh, about Phantom Menace, you know, the, the, face it right now, the folks at, at Lucasfilm, uh, the bunch that are, you know, calling the shots creatively right now, they're really as comfortable when it comes to, you know, the prequels and, and more to the point, the, the projects that were associated with the prequels, like uh, Star Wars, Clone Wars animated series, um, as, you know, you know the, the folks who got the, the last trilogy off the ground were about bringing in performers from, um, again, of the original trilogy. And, uh, you know, especially, you know, on the heels of what they did with Vader, uh, in and forgive me if I'm spoiling this for anybody, but the very last episode of uh, Star Wars: The Clone Wars, uh, Victory and Death, I think it was called. Yes. Okay. Uh, and you know that that you know the, the the surprise cameo at the end where uh, you know they're at the crash site. You know, Darth Vader makes an appearance and. Let's face it, Dan, the Darth Vader we're seeing at that moment is not the, as played by David Prowse, you know, older right. Vader. This is, this is fresh in the can, Anakin, you mm -hmm. know, uh, you know, um, and I, I, for one, you know, I, 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 I would be intrigued to see Hayden get another swing at Vader. Um, this, I, I just... As, as fun as that sounds during mm -hmm. this part of the timeline, Vader's Vader and Obi-Wan and Anakin don't meet each other for 19 years until a new hope. Mm -hmm. So I feel like they would really be subverting. Them. It takes away the power of when he says, you know, I've been waiting for you, Obi-Wan, we meet at last, you know, when mm -hmm. they finally reunite uh, and that Death Star that makes that so much more powerful and poignant. So unless they did flashbacks, Mm -hmm. Or they just showed Vader in the distance, just sort of, you know, preening out out into the darkness, imagining killing Obi Wan. I can mm -hmm. imagine that. The, I just don't can't understand why they would do that. Okay, no, no, no. I get that. I, you know, and you bring up a valid point. Uh, but you know, again, I, I I hate to say this, but but given what the crew that's handling the Mandalorian has done to date and and more to the point when you you put that alongside of how ridiculously strong season seven mm. of star wars the clone wars was um right. you know i mean at this point it's just sort of like you know with these guys and you know and 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 what a point these very talented women who are also you know part of the group sure. uh i you know it's like absolutely take the toolbox see what you can do um Speaking the last, I, yeah, the Clone Wars. I mean, real quick, the the last last two episodes of the Clone Wars were just completely stunning and intense. And just uh, speaking of master classes, a master class on how to use music and silence to mm -hmm. build suspense and terror. Mm -hmm. and just so full of symbolism. The Vader stuff at the end was such a wonderful surprise. Mm -hmm. You know, snow troopers, probe droids, uh, mm -hmm. the the Imperial shuttle. Just 
absolutely wonderful. You know, and I'm all for more Vader, but to me, Vader should be like Bruce, the shark in Jaws. The less you have of him, the more powerful he is. You know, and it, it's so interesting you say that because I, I, I was doing some research about Empire, um, you know, out ahead of the, the feature for today's show. And I was really surprised to learn that, what is it, you're 20 minutes into Empire before you get to see Vader? Yeah, that's right. Wow. That's right. Um, well, anyway, uh, uh, before we get, we get to that stuff, folk, I just I just wanted to circle back on uh, victory and death again because because I just I loved the writing of these last shows. For example, I I loved the, the notion that oh, Ahsoka and Rex, especially after Rex has chip removed, and um, you know the whole notion of they they made the deliberative choice of set their weapons at the sun. They didn't want to hurt the clones. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, in that scene on the hangar deck, when it's so desperate, when the ship is being, you know, pulled into the gravitational, you know, uh, field of the moon, and yet they're, they're, you know, facing down this squad of of clones, and it's like they have, they, they, you know, they have to escape, but they're still not willing to kill their compatriots. Um, it's, it's great. It's it's actual Jedi pacifism, which is what. You know, Luke learns at the end of Return of the Jedi mm-hmm. uh, that very few Jedi actually do in the mythology. But, you know, the myth of redemptive violence we have in society and the fact that Ahsoka subverts that, mm-hmm. uh, it shows how incredibly well-rounded and, and important she is and impactful she is, not only in this story, but just in fiction. I, I think it's pretty refreshing to have a character like this in this continually morally ambiguous culture we live in. Absolutely. And then... And the grace note at the end where, you know, we're back, we're now on the crash site and here are Rex and Ahsoka and you see that they have, you know, this, they've obviously put this huge effort into burying the dead, you know, the, the yeah. notion of honoring, you know, the, the clones that they, they work side by side with, you know, and it just, very powerful, again, it just, very powerful great writing, you know, um, all written by Filoni. Well, again, that this is why, you know, I, I would really love to see him play in that 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 Obi Wan sandbox, and um, or to get uh, his own feature film. Oh no, that would be cool. Uh, before before we get speaking of feature, before we get to the feature here, I, I wanted to ask: Did you see Mark Hamill's interview with uh, Entertainment Weekly this week? I, I sort of saw some clips about it, but I, I didn't really read the whole thing because I feel like, well, I don't know. You tell me what he said and then we'll, we'll chat. Well, you know, it just, again, you know, you, you were talking about the age we live in, you know, and, you know, it's it, it just, it's so partisan. It's so fractious. And, and, and the weird thing is that here's Mark Hamill being incredibly gracious, you know, that, that he got asked, um, you know, it's like, you know, Again, you know, so okay, you you know, we we we've just seen you know the rise of Skywalker, and you know your character came back, and do you ever envision playing Luke Skywalker again? And he's like, oh, I, I can't imagine it. No, I I had a beginning, a middle, and an end. These films gave me far more than I ever expected when we started out. So it it, it never even occurred to me, you know, good, 
you know, my farewell was in episode nine. It was, uh, you know, bittersweet. And I love all those people. And I certainly have affection for George and the character he created. I'm, I'm full of gratitude as for what was given to me in my career. And I, but I don't want to be greedy. You know, there, there are so many, many more stories to tell and so many great actors to tell them. They don't need me. And it's like, how refreshing is that to hear? It's great, and he, and he's right. I mean, I, there's no doesn't just like having Anna, like having Hayden Christensen come back. It doesn't make sense because both of these characters had a beginning, middle, and end, mm-hmm. and it's very satisfying. Sometimes it's okay to stop going back to the buffet. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's okay to move on to something else. Well, and and speaking of moving on, you know, Mark got asked about the Mandalorian, and he felt that, you know, they have a wonderful advantage with the Mandalorian because in that it's economical storytelling. They don't have the burden of delivering a, a gigantic special effects extravaganza that the films have to do. Um, he talked about it sort of gets back to the basics of, of George envisioning this as a Western in space. It, it has the tone of a Sergio Leone Western and mm, yeah. I'm very impressed with it. And for me, it's a very smart move on their part because you, you can't keep trying to top. It, it's like the superhero movies. They have to deliver these these gargantuan epics. And with The Mandalorian, they can just concentrate more on the characters and the storytelling. I think it's excellent. So, um, Yeah, it's, it's he's totally right. And, I, and he's, again, I think this is just people grasping on, oh, Luke must be upset. Someone texted me actually today and said, I heard Mark Hamill is upset with Lucasfilm. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, mm-hmm. because of that article today? And they said, yeah. And I said, well, did you read it? Mm-hmm. Because all he was saying is it was great. My time is over. And that doesn't seem like story-wise would be a place for me. Mm-hmm. But I'm happy with how everything went. So, you know, and you take that and you and you enjoy it and you move on, I guess. It's because we love Mark Hamill and he's so witty. I still think he should have his own talk show on Disney Plus because that would be must-watch viewing. Like, remember that one you and I when he and, and Frank Oz talked? Remember when we covered that about oh, a year ago? Oh, yeah. No, he did such a wonderful job of of you know, leading Frank to stories and at the same time contributing. And he was genuinely funny, but at the same time, you know, did such a beautiful job of shining the spotlight on, uh, on Frank. Uh, that's the 92 street Y, uh, series folks, definitely worth seeking out if you haven't seen it. And speaking of Frank Oz, who, you know, made his debut in the, the star Wars episode five, right. Uh, Empire Strikes Back. Okay, mm-hmm. when when we get back from this commercial break, you know, Dan and I are gonna you know, do a little deep dive into Star Wars two. And we're back. Uh before we get started here, by by the way, folks, if if you haven't been going over to StarWars.com lately, uh first of all, you've been missing out on some wonderful uh essays that Dan has been writing over there. In fact, uh you've done seven pieces of them since february is that correct yeah that sounds right i I think i've got i'm getting close to almost 80 total since i started about five years ago but yeah Mm -hmm. i've been doing a weekly teaching with star wars column that they asked me to do and and it's been fun i've got some pieces coming out uh honoring the empire strikes back as well well in fact as i was waiting for for dan to hop on uber conference tonight was over there reading your empire at 40 piece the wisdom of do or do not Really, a, a great article, kind of well worth seeking out, folks. But thank you. Um, I have to ask Dan now. I know you saw the original Star Wars in '77. Your family took you a drive-in. Is that correct? Or? That's right. Yeah, of summer. It was actually summer of 1978. 
Okay. Yes. Um, what about Empire? When, how and when did you see Empire? I saw Empire in 1980 when it came mm-hmm. out, but it wasn't the first day. It was, I think it had been out for about a week or two. And mm-hmm. I, I was think I was, let's see, I was probably about seven years old, seven, eight years old. And I remember my mom coming out. I was outside actually reading the novel because I was <laughs> apparently wasn't myself yet. I was reading the book before I saw the movie, how ironic. Uh, and that, and actually my brother still yells at me because I told him that Yoda died when I read the Jedi novel before we saw the movie. So uh, he throws that out once in a while. But yeah, I, anyway, so my mom came out and said, hey, you know that book you're reading? You want to go see the movie? And I thought, oh, wow. Because I think in my brain, I thought it takes a year to see these movies because they're so hard because they sell out. So mm-hmm. we went and saw it. And I, and I probably saw it, gosh, with all the re-releases. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I saw it about 25 times in the theater. Wow. It's still my favorite Star Wars movie. Uh, for sure. Well, that's understandable. You know, the, though the interesting thing is that um, if you, well, I, I, we were also talking about J.W. Rinsler, is, is that correct? Rinsler, uh, Rinsler, yeah. Rinsler. Yes, he, he wrote the, back in 2010, the wonderful making of uh, Empire Strikes Back book. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting about that book is that he talks about how George initially, you know, right after Empire was released, this was not necessarily George's favorite film. But I think that largely had to do with how snake bit, you know, this particular production was. There was, uh, God, there was so much stuff that that went wrong during the production of Empire that was completely out of George's control. There was the, what, the blizzard in Finland? Um, yeah, the blizzard, there's there's a lot of great stuff about that. That that thing was so bad. I mean, mm-hmm. the, basically the opening, that's the first stuff they shot was the stuff on location there. And mm-hmm. the weather was so bad that when Hamill was laying on the ground mm-hmm. for the sequences where he uh, sees the vision of Sir Alec Guinness, mm-hmm. he would shake and, and you know, be very, very cold. And within a minute, he was shaking mm-hmm. involuntarily because he was so cold. And, and everyone, when they left uh norway i uh, had the the mark of frostbite underneath all of their eyes because they were so Jeez. cold wow um i you know and but I, that was literally just the start of yeah. of the challenges i mean for example you know they then go to l street studios in the uk and it, and it was a you know a huge production uh, they they used all eight sound stages, or they were supposed to use all eight sound stages mm-hmm. at L Street. But uh, just before they got there, Stanley Kubrick was shooting The Shining there. That's right. And uh, you know, and I want to say in January of '79 there was a, a fire, and you know, it, it took out you know one particularly large set on The Shining, and so it was like they had to shut down production to a repair the sound stage, rebuild the sets. And here's <laughs> here comes Empire over the hill, and they had you know they they had laid claim to all eight of the sound stages because I want to say there were there's 64 individual sets that had to be built for the Sir Kirshner film, and you know and it was one of these things where it's like I'm sorry, Mr. Kubrick isn't finished with The Shining. You can't have the sound stage, but uh, to give L Street credit, they built a ninth sound stage. Um, while Empire was in production to, to try to accommodate kind of the folks of Lucasfilm. And, it, it, and it's one of those things, you, you look at it today, 
and you know, in fact, I came across a, a wonderful story about the special edition um, mm-hmm. that Kirshner supposedly reached out to George when he found out that they were, you know, that they were going to do this special edition, and he basically begged and pleaded that for all a lot of the scenes on Cloud City, and again, you know, the irony: Cloud City, you're up in the, the sky, you know, but they're all indoors. And he's like, you know, please, we weren't able to do this, you know, back in, in 79 when we were shooting. Can you please go and, and make some of the interiors exteriors so we can actually see that we're up in the clouds? Let's talk about uh, Empire Strikes Back. Is there, do you have a particular favorite scene out of the film or sequence, uh, Dan? I, well, there, there's, I mean, everything in Hoth is pretty wonderful. My favorite mm-hmm. sequence is the carbon freeze chamber of course the power of han going into carbonite there's i think there's a ton of symbolism there but mm-hmm. for my money it's the sequence when luke and vader fight and invader says the force is with you young skywalker but you are not a jedi yet and luke walks up those blue and orange or that dark and orange steps and mm-hmm. they stand in front of each other as silhouettes and there's no music of any kind which is interesting for a john williams film Mm-hmm. And then Luke ignites his lightsaber first, showing aggression. I just think it's it's gorgeously filmed. Plus, it's the most with Han Solo. Mm-hmm. It's got the most of the Falcon. And it's got the bravest ending to me in cinema for a really long time. I mean, think about how people felt when Infinity War was over and that sucker punch of Thanos wins. I mean, that's what it was like for us in 1980 with Vader. And we had to wait three years, three actual years to find out what was going to happen. That that's an excellent point. I did I, again in, in the research for tonight. Uh, came across well this this kind of you know there's the famous story of you know that David Prowse when he was on set it had entirely different dialogue he was saying mm-hmm. uh, because they were trying to protect the secret of this film and it's it's been since 1980, folks. I think we can say this. You know, I am your father. <laughs> um, <laughs> But you know the, the interesting thing again, it was, it was Mark Hamill who you know who put you know a little more reality back into the situation. Well, look, it, you know, remember the film? I'm standing there out you know out on that that outcropping, and you know it's supposedly this is the, what the air circulation system for the entire Cloud City, and so there are these giant industrial fans on me. Mm-hmm. You know, blowing me to to to, to simulate that I'm in the 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 air system of the the space station. So we were going to have to re-record that dialogue anyway in post because you know you couldn't hear us over the fans. But Hamill then went on to say that I, I guess they were getting ready to shoot it, and Irv kind of waves them over and explains that okay, this is what this is what Darth Vader is actually saying to you, and you have to react to that. And let me tell you that you are now the third person on the planet who knows this. You know, I know it and George knows it. And if this leaks out, that means you talked. Uh, Wow. So he records, they film his reaction to the line, not what uh, David Prowse is saying. Again, it's, it's a wonderful moment, a wonderful piece of acting. But at the same time, you know, when you saw it, in an audience for the first time, it kind of took the top of your head off because it really changed everything you knew about Star Wars right up until that point. That's um, right. I, I like looking at the history of the script because mm-hmm. the making of The Empire Strikes Back by J.W. Renzo that you mentioned, 
Mm-hmm. It's just an absolutely glorious book. If you can find it, certainly check it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just full of pictures and uh, behind the scenes stuff and the actual images of the script with George's handwriting on it, scratching things out. And he and Kaz and narrowing down Yoda, some of Yoda's famous euphemisms and things like that. Mm-hmm. And the evolution of what's going on uh, with Vader and in, in, in George's constant challenge that it was the middle film. So he wanted it to be darker and he wanted to be able to stand on its own, but still leave some sort of a cliffhanger ending too. And he just wasn't sure what to, how to handle that because he already blown up the Death Star in the first movie. And, and he always says that he wanted to save that for the third movie, which of course he did mm-hmm. later. But it's it's fun, the challenges that they went, narratively speaking, of trying to find sort of the secret sauce for this thing. Oh, absolutely. But the, but the weird part of it is even the stuff they discarded, you know, for example, uh, mm, yeah. I, I want to say in the making of Ever Strikes Back, they actually have images of Darth Vader's castle on the volcanic planet, which uh, right. we, we don't we don't then don't get to see till what Rogue One, uh, you know, That's years right. eight years later. To get back to the whole snake bit thing, I mean, face it, one of the reasons that, you know, it's Kazdan and Lucas working on the screenplay for this is that Lee Brackett, who, you know, George had hired in December of 77 to work off of that original nine-page outline, which, which by the way, to be fair here, I, I think we, we should credit that George Kurtz, the, the producer. Gary Kurtz. One, Gary Kurtz, excuse me. Uh, he was the one who he actually came up supposedly with the name of The Empire Strikes Back. Um, wonderful title. Really kept the flavor of the, the old serials. Nice yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, so, so Leah does the first pass in the screenplay. She hands it in in February. And in fact, I, I want to say that in the, the Rizzler book, there, there are those wonderful reproduction of pages where George is scratched at things like, no, <laughs> you know, we need to change this. And but unfortunately, you know, when he he finally reached out to Lee, she was already in the hospital and she, she died of cancer in uh, March of that year. And so that's right. And they used basically nothing that she had written was yeah. in it. But to George's credit, mm-hmm. uh, and they actually go over this in the book, um, the Writers Guild probably wouldn't have done this. But George insisted that she get writing credit. And she still does. To this day, she has a writing credit for The Empire Strikes Back just because he respected her and he said she was a nice person. I mean, that's the mm-hmm. kind of guy George Lucas is. Well, no, that, that, that's it exactly, though. You know, the sad bookend to that story is, you know, his battle with the Producers uh, Association about opening with The Crawl, and which I guess was okay when he was directing the film, but not when Irv Kirshner was directing the film. And... That's what made George actually withdraw from the Producers Guild, didn't it? Or? You know, I, I, I'm a little vague on this. I'm looking forward to what you what you have to say about this. There's so many instances when it comes to Empire where they just, they, they got tripped up left and right. I mean, you know, the, the story of poor John Barry, the uh, production designer who, uh, because they had fallen so far behind schedule, what with the you know, the issues with The Shining occupying one of their sound stages and that sort of thing. They they gave John a, a field promotion. He be, then became in charge of shooting the second unit on the movie. 
And he'd been two weeks on the job when one day on the set, he just collapsed. And, you know, they found out he had a, a temperature of 104. They called for an ambulance. They took him off the set. And it turns out the poor guy had come down with meningitis and died just days later. Um, and this sort of thing just kept happening over and over on Empire, which is why, you know, it went from uh, the original, its original budget of $18 million, which was uh, seven more than the original Star Wars had been shot for. It finally topped out at $35 million. And, and you have to understand that this is also at the same time that George is, is trying to get a Skywalker Ranch built. That's right. Uh, yeah, it was it was a really really tough time. The 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 one saving by his own break. admission too. The reason one of the reasons main reasons he made Empire was to have money to build Skywalker Ranch. Yeah, <laughs> and in fact, it got so tight toward the end that remember, you know, one of the things that you know George announced going into Star Wars two that he was going to fund it entirely himself and that. Fox was only going to, you know, uh, distribute the film. And, and as a result, most of the, the profits were supposed to go back to George. But things got so tight and so desperate because he was being pulled in two directions with the film and, and the work on Skywalker Ranch that he actually had to go to Fox and, you know, ask them for a loan. And Alan Ladd, to his credit, Alan Ladd Jr., said, sure, no, you know, they, we were all looking forward to this film and happy to, to you know, to to give you the money to get this thing done. And, but the other executives at Fox were furious that, that Ladd Jr. hadn't played this to the company's advantage that they, they had, that he hadn't set up onerous terms or that sort of thing. Uh, in fact, that's what forced Ladd to, uh, to leave Fox the following year that, you know, they, they felt that the studio's profits could have been so much bigger if he basically put the screws to George at that particular moment during empire. But anyway, long story short, uh, you know, in a weird sort of way, the very fact that the film ran so far over schedule um, turned out to be a positive thing because uh, Sir Alec Guinness, who, you know, played Obi-Wan in, in, you know, A New Hope, it was really touch and go as to whether he was going to be able to make it to appear in the film. Uh, largely because Sir Alec had a, a history of issues with glaucoma. In fact, you know, he, for the next 20 years of his life, he'd have an, a number of you know, procedures to deal with cataracts and eye problems and that sort of thing. And uh, right in the middle of production of Empire, he had uh, an eye operation. And, you know, and then it was a question of, wow, will he be, Will he have recuperated enough in time to actually come and shoot his scene for Obi-Wan? And as it turns out, because they were so far behind schedules, yes, he could. I want to say he was on, what is it? It was March of 79, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, and he was able to come in at 8.30 in the morning. Uh, oh, excuse me. It, it was September 5th, 1979. Came in at eight thirty in the morning, and by one o'clock in the afternoon, he had shot all of his scenes, and he was headed back home. And we get that lovely little scene with the Force Ghost, um, yeah. But and, which he was well compensated for, but we, we we will not get into that part of it. But yeah, and, and the only other thing I think worth noting about Empire is 
to to get back to Han being encased in the, the refresh my memory. What yeah. is the material? Carbonite. Carbonite. There we go. Um, <laughs> part of that issue was that Harrison Ford, uh, unlike Mark Hamill and Carrie, uh, the contract he had signed for the original Star Wars film was only for the that film. Uh, whereas Carrie and Mark had language in their contracts that mentioned sequels that you know they were under you know an obligation to come back if there were sequels made. And so I want to say in the initial nine-page outline, they actually explain that Han Solo is off. I, I want to say he's out trying to recruit other planets to join the rebellion. They did, you know, George, because he wasn't sure Harrison would come back. He created an out for the character, a, a logical reason that he'd be off stage. Isn't that and, funny? Cause he's, he's the least warm and fuzzy of all of them. He'd be terrible as an ambassador. <laughs> Very true. And, but at the same time, that was what he agreed to do it is like, I'll come back for this one. And it's like, all right, so let's put him in carbonite. Cause at least then if, you know, if he doesn't come back for the third, you know, part of the trilogy, at least we have a way to explain where he is. And so just the fact that even as he's finishing two, he's stressing about, Oh, he's not coming back for three. Well, you gotta, but, we gotta close with the story about, uh, Harrison Ford finding out about who Luke's father is. Oh, yes, yes. Sorry, I almost blanked this one. So again, you know, to double back to, to what I was saying earlier about Irv telling, you know, Mark that, look, you are now the third person on the planet and, you know, who knows this. And if it leaks, we know it came from you. So Mark did, you know, they honored the request, didn't tell anybody. And so it's now it's the actual premiere of Empire Strikes Back. And Harrison Ford is in the theater seated in front of Mark Hamill. And the big moment comes in the movie. And, you know, here is David Prowse acting, and, but James Earl Jones saying, you know, I am your father. And Harrison evidently, as, as Mark loves to tell the story, you know, wheeled around in his seat, seat and in the middle of the, a crowded theater, it's like, I'm trying to think of the, the nice PG-13 way of saying this. Maybe you fire know. truck? Yeah, there we go. You fire truck. <laughs> you know, why didn't you tell me? So, <laughs> you know. I uh, didn't know that story until I saw the notes for the nights. What a great So That is such vintage Harrison Ford. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, I did all of this research over the last you know, day or so, I definitely have to circle back on this movie. Uh, and obviously... Uh, You've written that, you know, that wonderful teaching essay for StarWars.com. But oh, what are you doing for Empire's uh, 40th over at Coffee with Kenobi? Yeah, well, I mean, again, feel free to look every Wednesday for the Teaching with Star Wars column on StarWars.com. We've got four out so far. Uh, on Coffee with Kenobi, we've got uh, Steve Sansweet coming on the show uh, oh, to hey. talk about uh, The Empire Strikes Back, collectibles, the history of that movie. Obviously, he's one of the the leading you know star wars experts on the planet and he's just a great guy anyway i've got some uh feelers out for some other interviews so hopefully those pan out but either way it's, it's going to be great fun we just did a rec uh, a feature-length recording of star wars new hope a commentary it's going to be released we're going to record one for empire really really soon uh we just wrapped up clone wars and then on our patreon page this weekend we actually have an hour and a half show where we re we review 
uh, or we rank all 11 Star Wars films from from our least to our most favorite. And it ended up being quite a conversation, particularly because I sort of it always felt I would never do that because it was too hard. But uh, we made it happen. and It was a great, great fun that people will love to listen to on our Patreon page. Well, have to check that out. And anything special for pour over or uh, that that is going to be the pour over the the okay. ranking of the films. Yes, on Patreon okay. for sure. All right, uh, on on our side of the fence, uh, let's see, we got a, a new Disney dish coming up with Lentesta. Uh, likewise, uh, I'm going to be recording a new Marvel Us Disney with Aaron Adams uh, sometime in the coming week. Uh, Drew Taylor and I just did a brand new fine tuning where we got to interview the director of Scoob, and he had some wonderful stories to share about that, that Hanna-Barbera-inspired film. A universal Joint, which I do in Dutch with Dustin Fuse, we're going to be talking about. They, they just later this week, they're going to start partially reopening City Walk in Universal Orlando, and that's going to be interesting to watch what happens there. And uh, likewise, as they open, uh, partially open, Disney Springs, I, I want to say it's the third-party participants that will be opening there. Myself and Shelley Valladolid will be talking about that from the merch side of things on I Want That. But until those shows pop up, uh, if you could do Dan and I a favor, folks, if you could head over to iTunes to rate and recommend Coffee with Kenobi as well as looking at Lucasfilm, that would be incredibly helpful. And if you really enjoyed what you heard tonight, if you get ahead over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that allows us to do things like, you know, they, I want to say the, uh, the, with the Rinsler book, there was a, a new edition done. Uh, there was the original that was published in 2010, but there's in 2013, there was an enhanced edition that was done as an ebook. Oh, that digital. Had, yep, that's right. Yeah, has even more artwork and uh, you know uh, even more material. So you know, folks, if you know if you can't change down the original, do seek that out. Um, now, uh, for the social media side of things, Dan, where can they find you? Sure. Well, Coffee with Kenobi is all over social media. In fact, we're trying to make a big push to get our Instagram up. So be sure to go to Coffee with Kenobi on Instagram for that. Twitter, mm-hmm. Facebook. You can join our. Facebook group, CWK Cafe, for lots of fun Star Wars conversation, family-friendly, positive, all that good stuff. And then for me personally, on Twitter, at Mr. Zer, M-R-Z-E-H-R. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, Nancy wants me to remind you folks that for Jim Hill Media, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. and But over on Facebook, we are Jim Hill Media News. Uh, and again, speaking of news, folks, from here going forward to October, which, by the way, our last bit of news, Bob Chapek just last week uh, confirmed that they had actually finished shooting season two of The Mandalorian, just as the, all the COVID-19 uh, you know, d- disruption of production. So they're in post right now, and they are, in fact, going to make their, their promised release date in October of this year. Uh, meanwhile, we'll have a, another six episodes of Disney Gallery, The Mandalorian, to look forward to, to sort of tide us over till then. But again, out of respect to, to Mr. Zare here, we're, we're going to try to figure out how to talk about two season two of Mandalorian without giving too much away. So, ixnay on telling Dan about additional casting, okay? <laughs>